Bonjour et bienvenue au podcast du Pasta Paddock. Je m'appelle Neil Morrison and I'm glad to say that I'm joined by David Emmett. Don't say that we're not cultured. We don't try our very best to uh, sprinkle a little bit of where we are into this podcast. David, uh, ça va? Uh, ça va bien, mais bien sûr, Monsieur Morrison. Um, I have actually been uh, uh, practicing my French because I was staying in bed and breakfast. And when you're in a bed and breakfast, you have to interact with your uh, various hosts. And the first bed and breakfast I was in, the lady didn't speak any English. So um, that was good. But it uh, gave me a chance to polish up my, um, my A-level French again. Um, and it was quite enjoyable, really. Put my GCSE friends to shame, I must say, <laughs> uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, we are recording this train station in Le Mans. We're about to catch our train away uh, to Paris after a pretty eventful French Grand Prix. Uh, one that was won by Mar Marquez. Um, we were expecting rain to arrive pretty much all day on Sunday. Didn't come at any point. Well, it, it sort of, it did that very light rain where um, it, it becomes irritating when it falls on your phone outside, but it doesn't really, it didn't really have an effect on the, uh, uh, on the track. What really affected the track was the just the cold it was a it was quite a cold day after a glorious friday yeah soft tires pretty much all round for uh, the motor gp guys um it was a race that uh, well we were almost billing it as um a clash between marquez the ducatis we all expected the ducatis to go really well at le mans they did they were second third and fourth at the end of the day's action but just no one could really touch marquez at all uh he looked to be in a class of his own Yeah, especially uh, especially in the damp and in the wet, um, it was pretty good. Um, Maverick Vinales during practice and uh, um, during free practice in FP4, Maverick Vinales looked like he might have the the measure of Mark, but when the race came, uh, Marquez just managed the race extremely well. Um, didn't quite get to the front immediately, but were, uh, was uh, quick enough to get past uh, Jack Miller after Jack Miller got past him. Um, and once he was gone, he was just, he didn't really, really open a huge gap immediately. What he did was just sort of, as Jack Miller said, just chip away just you know take a tenth a lap and a tenth a lap and build it up until there was a second and once that once he had a second gap then uh, uh, then it was basically basically all over yeah yeah there was no way back for the Ducati guys um, it was interesting to see Jack Miller up there at the, f the start of the race uh, giving Marquez something to think about uh, the Australian led I think two laps across the line uh, other than that Marquez uh, led start to finish and thought it was interesting when you look back past four races now yeah. I think those are just two laps that Marquez has completed that he hasn't led um, it isn't quite the um, the rider that sits in the group and studies his opposition before crazy last lap attack uh, it seems to be a new Marquez 2.0 for 2019. What's the story there, David, do you think? Um, well, I mean, uh, Mark gave the game away a little bit in the press conference himself, uh, uh, talking about the, the fact that uh, he could ride a little bit differently with the new Honda engine. The new Honda engine's got a lot more horsepower, so he can rely more on speed. He doesn't have to put everything on braking anymore. Um, because of the new design, they've had to really increase the airbox to get more air into the, um, uh, into the engine to increase the engine efficiency and increase the horsepower but that means that they've had to move lots of other bits and 
pieces around and that's upset the bike balance a little bit and made it a, a little bit less strong in braking which is why which is why he was actually able to run the soft uh, the, the the soft front tire which is something they haven't been able to do last year and it was interesting that the only rider who used the medium front tire was Takanakagami who's on the 2018 uh, Honda um, and he had he had to use the the, the, the medium front tire just to be able to uh, just to be able to you know um, use the, the the strength in braking of, of last year's bike um, Mark said it, it, he's had to change his style and to the detriment of the series really um, he's had to change his style because he can't afford to sit behind he has to use a softer tyre to get more grip to be able to carry corner speed but he can't afford to sit behind other riders and overheat the tyre um, uh, you heat the, overheat the front tyre by hard braking uh, and by and if you're in a group, if you if you are sort of in the slipstream, you're not getting the cold tire on the, uh, the the cold air on the on the front tire. So yeah, that's that's basically why his his new tactic is to try to get away at the front. But that opens the door to the way to beat Mark. Yeah, exactly. It's just that you've got to get in front of him and then stay in front of him, and that's not been easy. Not so easy. Yeah, you give uh, a little um, a little window into. Or he showed us um, why he has also pursued this tactic in recent rounds as well. He asked him about this on Friday and he said that essentially he likes to keep his uh, his rivals guessing. He wants Davizioso, Vinales, Rossi to not really be sure what his tactic will be um, in 2019 because he's obviously a guy that's used to battling so much, uh, to fighting, to um, sitting behind the rider. Um, but he says that Basically, now he's showing that with this like crazy consistency leading into the first corner, it's almost like style you expect Jorge Lorenzo to yeah. uh, to have. Um, it's another string to his bow, essentially. And in warm-up, his rivals aren't really sure what kind of race they're going to have. Are they going to be fighting with them? Are they going to be chasing them down? Yeah, but I, I think you see, he said that on what was it on the on Friday. the Thursday, Thursday or Friday? Yeah, exactly. And then um, uh, on Sunday, he gave the game away by saying, "Well, I've got to get in front because I can't afford to overheat the tyre." Mm. So, um, like I say, I think it's now more obvious what his uh, tactic is going to be. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think. I wonder if his rivals will start to cotton on and will start to try and beat him up and get in front of him because the one race that he didn't win was Qatar where Dolphy got in front and slowed the race up. Um, so I'm thinking if if Dolphy sort of like realises that, uh, perhaps he'll start to start trying to do that. Well, it'll be interesting to see at Mugello um, to see uh, if, the, if the Ducati can... S- be just that little bit faster than the uh, the, than the Honda and um, uh, and use the strength on, strength on the brakes down the front straight to get into turn one ahead of uh, ahead of Marquez and then just hold him up for the rest of the lap. In the last couple of years, we've uh, we know that Ducati is incredibly strong in terms of top speed. Also, its acceleration, electronic setup seems to be yeah drive especially. And it's not just uh, if you talk to uh, sort of crew chiefs and people who know about uh, know about brakes, they say it's not just the electronics. It's also just mechanical grip. Um, it really has um, 
it's a longer and a lower uh, bike, which is also one of the reasons which makes it more difficult to turn. Um, but because it's longer and lower, it it just gets it, it can dig it's, it can dig the sort of like the rear tire into the tarmac that a little bit more firmly. Uh, and we see obviously that's what Gigi is all about. Gigi is all about managing tires, and his little aerodynamic spoiler on the tail is uh, is part of that package. Yeah. So therefore, it was quite interesting to hear Jack Miller, who had followed Marquez and tried to fight with him in the early laps, talk about Marquez's command of the final section of the track. And essentially, he said, coming out of the final double right, Marquez just could not be caught. He was pulling out a little bike length here and there every single time. Um, and I think if you looked at uh, the timing screens, he was pretty much pulling, I think, two tenths of a second in that sector alone. Everywhere else was pretty even. Yeah, and it, seems, it, to be, it, yeah, it seems to be pretty much just uh, just out of turn 14, out, out of the final corner, uh, which has got to be a worry for, for the Ducati. In, in previous years, that's exactly where the, uh, the Honda had struggled. The Honda was having real problems um, uh, getting grip. Uh, the bike was wanting to wheelie. Um, uh, and so the riders were having to fight the bike. I think I remember Cal Crutchlow saying either last year or the year before that he was using it rear brake everywhere just to try and keep the front down, uh, accelerating out of the uh, uh, out the corner. So yeah, if they've made a step there, then that's going to be a real concern for Ducati because again they're right on Ducati's they're right in Ducati's territory and we saw Andrea Dovizioso talk about that in the press conference as well after finishing second yeah exactly and just to go back to Marquez he was saying that basically he could pull that amount of time in the final sector because there was no heavy braking he, he wasn't taking or he wasn't willing to take so many risks in the late braking areas and that was the one place where he could really use his high corner speed style he also said that this new engine, it basically gives him a variety of options. He can use three different riding styles to get the best out of the machine, carrying uh, incredible amounts of corner speed, um, squaring the corner off. And yeah, he did that to sort of devastating effect in uh, in the race on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, I think that's also the difference between, it shows the difference between Marcus, that Marcus can adapt his style so quickly uh, because Cal Crutchlow, you know, Cal Crutchlow's ridden lots of different bikes. He's been on the podium on three different bikes. Um, he's won on, uh, on the Honda, but he's having much more difficulty adapting to the 2019 Honda, which needs a very different riding style to the one he's been using so far. So, yeah, it's, um, uh, I think it's, it, it's a real sort of test Testament to um, Marquez is just adaptability and ability to change his riding style to find or find a way to go fast despite the bike rather than um, to, to get the, the absolute best out of the bike even though it might not be the way that he would want to ride. Yeah, now there are some mitigating circumstances obviously surrounding Jorge Lorenzo, the fact that he's been injured for a lot of time, he's yeah. adapting to the bike and also... Uh, but this is it's his first year on the bike as well and so so you can't really say very much about, uh, uh, about Lorenzo because... Uh, you know, he doesn't know what the 2018 bike. But th that's why I say, like, Cal Crutchlow, I think, is a really good comparison because, like, he was on the bike last year. Uh, he was on the podium last year. Um, the, it, he knows how to make the bike perform, and yet he's struggling much more to adapt to the 2019 bike than the Mark. Exactly. Crutchlow was pretty much in the hunt for podium places, top four, top fives. I think everywhere we went last year until he had that pretty horrendous uh, crash at the first turn at Phillip Island in October. Um, <clears throat> yes. Looking at the press conference afterwards, Marquez obviously was jubilant. Uh, Andrea De Vizioso a lot less. So um, I think he had almost banked on Ducati being able to match Marquez here. And it was the fact that he wasn't even really able to get close uh, that seemed to seemed to irk him slightly. And the fact that also 
just never really felt comfortable. He said the speed was there from Friday morning, but comfort and confidence in his setting to be able to push yeah. to the absolute level that would require him taking the fight to Marquez just wasn't really there. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious, you know, Ducati's finished second, third and fourth, which shows that uh, the, the Ducati was really strong at, uh, at Le Mans. Um, however, they finished second, third and fourth, which is not first. And I think um, uh, Dovi came here because Dovi led the race until he crashed out. Stupid mistake of his own, which he willingly uh, uh, admitted to. Um, uh, th that was last year. This year, I think they probably came thinking, yeah, OK, we've got this. We can actually do this. Uh, but what happened? Something very different. You know, they just they just couldn't match um, uh, couldn't match Marquez. Couldn't really uh, get the uh, get this corner speed in the drive. And it was interesting also that uh, Jack Miller said um, he saw Dobby coming be coming up behind him um, and thought, all right, if Dobby's coming, I'll try and get in uh, get in behind him, and then we can together we can go and try and catch Marquez. He let Dovi pass. Dovi got back, uh, uh, but Dovi wasn't going any faster than Jack Miller was going, so they were still stuck, sort of, uh, uh, in the same place. And it was really interesting hearing Dovi say, "We need more speed, um, not necessarily top speed, but just you know they need they need to be able to shave two tenths off the lap time. Um, they'll he'll take it wherever he can find it." But um, yeah, G yeah, GG needs needs to get to work. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess we could say that this time last year he was having similar kind of complaints. I think it was after Barcelona race that he said he found something in terms of managing the rear tyre to a real optimum level, and that really gave him a massive boost going into the second half of last year. Um, he was saying that that is one of the aspects that they need to work on as well to improve the rear tyre because he just did not have really. Well, the speed you could see was pretty much defending in the last five or six laps. Petrucci probably had a greater pace than him. But yeah. Davizio was just uh, able to defend quite ably. Um, and it was a good result in the end, considering, considering that and the issues that he was having in the race. But... Um, yeah, not quite good enough. No, 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 exactly. It was obvious from his face that uh, the, the, the thought he'd get more. Um, uh, Petrucci was extremely sensible. He could have finished, well, he could have finished seconds, but, you know, that would have been with an 80 or... He had an 80% fire chance of finishing second, which meant he had a 20% chance of doing an Andrea Iannone. Um, uh, Argentina 2016, yeah, we didn't want a repeat of that so yeah strong ride by Petrucci I thought I thought he, I thought he did this exceptionally well strong ride by Jack Miller uh, Jack Miller burnt his tyres up a little bit um, said that was one of the things one of the things that he really learned uh, that you know you have to sort of cosset your tyres you have to be careful you have to you have to manage them and he said he learned a lot and they I mean it was a short term loss sitting behind Dovizioso but it was a long term gain because he sort of watched Dovizioso ride saw a few things on how Dovi changes, uh, uh, saves the tyres, is gentle on them at certain sections uh, uh, around the track, and which he benefits from uh, as the race goes on. Yeah, he was quite interesting, and he said that by watching Dovi's movements on the bike, you would almost be thinking that what are you doing? Like you're slowing us up here. We're going quite slow. The way he would pick the bike up, the way he would put it into the corner, and he would say you would go past the start and finish line. You would look down at your dashboard, see the lap time, and think, oh. Actually, yeah, we're still going really fast. Yes. Yeah, it was just if you were looking at Davizio's and following his movements on the bike, it didn't look like he was attacking 
uh, as if he was, you know, trying to defend his podium position on the last lap. Um, and that is something I guess Miller still, uh, yeah, you would say one of the things, one of the skills that he's still working on because well, he's a, he's it's, a, it's, it's, he's it's a feisty little beggar. Exactly, and it was something that we saw at Phillip Island a couple of years ago when he went out, led from the first lap and burnt his tires up and yeah. then didn't really have a, an answer at the end. And you feel that that early attack, although it was great to see him really taking the fight to Marquez, and we haven't seen that, I don't think. Yeah in that kind of circumstance, Miller looking as strong as that at the front of a MotoGP race, um, it maybe wasn't the best for the final five laps of the race. But I, uh, I think it's good for, um, uh, it could well be good for Ducati because uh, let's say uh, Miller gets away, he, you know, he qualifies well and he gets into a fight with Marquez in the first few laps of Mugello. He could well hold Mag uh, uh, Marquez up long enough for his front tire to start overheating, for Dovicioso to be able to take advantage of it to, you know, just, just ruin. Uh, Jack Miller might end up playing a, playing a role as a, as a spoiler for Marquez and if he can sort of like take Marquez out of the equation then there's no no reason why you know he sh shouldn't be in with a shot at the end if uh, if he can manage his tyres and learn those last little sort of bits uh, bits and pieces yeah absolutely um, so yes an interesting race at the front um I feel, although Miller rode a great race, he also had a fantastic race at Le Mans last year. Um, and I feel we really need to wait until after Mugello, Catalonia. Yeah. There's a few races coming up where Miller's just gone missing in the previous couple yeah. of years. Okay, he's been injured in a couple of those instances. I think he banged himself up pretty badly at Mugello a few years back. But do you remember uh, Mugello thinking, okay, he's got this finally. Yeah. And then he crashed out early in the race and yeah. we didn't really see him again until... Aragon or yeah. uh, Mategi, somewhere like that. So, um, yes, it'll be interesting to see how Miller comes up to, or how he faces up to a few bogey tracks that are uh, coming his way. Uh, I guess a quick word on uh, Valentino Rossi, David, just to finish off the, the sort of the fight for the lead, because we had Marquez clearing off, and then a pretty interesting four-way fight because it wasn't all an all Ducati affair. We also had Rossi in there in the mix, um, looking pretty good, but just I, I, there was no point where I thought he's going to take overtake be able to overtake these these Ducatis just the Yamaha was like no, in mean, so much top speed yeah I mean the, the, the first few laps you thought you know he's done with a shot at the podium but then uh, it was it became clear that he just he was just losing ground and, and couldn't quite stay with them so uh, I mean it was another really really strong ride by um, uh, by Rossi um, but the Yamaha is coming up a little bit short at the moment and um uh, that's what Rossi was saying in the press conference or in his uh, in his media debrief afterwards. Yeah, he was essentially saying he told us to look at uh, the timings. Sorry, not the timing sheets. The the sheets that display the top speeds of the riders through the weekend. Um, and yeah, he was right. He was last basically, losing ten kilometers an hour to Davizioso on the main straight. And here is what Valentino had to say. So to sum it up, the the problem with the Yamaha this year is just top uh, just just horsepower because the Honda have made a big step with the horsepower, the Ducati has always had a lot of horsepower and uh, the, the Yamaha, you fix your time management problem but it's just power and acceleration. Hey, it can be, I'm agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like this, we, we improve the power, uh, the, sorry, the tire, uh, the tire life uh, with uh, some different things on the bike, the bike is very good to ride. 
Now I want to see the, the race, but looks like in breaking in that corner I, I'm good. But like you said, it uh, looks like that the others make another step, especially Honda. And now, now the difference is, uh, is very big in the straight. Is, uh, is enough that you check uh, the speed, the speed in the, in the sheet. In, uh, in all the, the race we suffer very much and uh, it's like, uh, and also, uh, unfortunately, what we can improve is that uh, uh, I'm also the slower of the Yamaha for, for some reason. So we need, uh, we need to, make, uh, to make better, but I'm always last, second to last, sometimes third to last, but uh, I'm very far from, from the top. Uh, so it's, it's, it's difficult. Allora, in the history, from a long, long time, from 2004, never the Yamaha is fantastic on the street. Uh, but this year looks like we lose very much. Valentino Rossi there telling us about his uh, speed concerns. I guess it's, um, yeah, it's a bit worrying with tracks like Mugello, Catalonia coming up huge main streets. But I think uh, what was more interest was Rossi talking about how his bike was able to manage the tires. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they fixed one problem. Uh, I don't think that created another problem, but I do think that uh, because they were concentrating so hard on having tyre left at the end of the race, um, they didn't have resources to start thinking about, you know, a little bit more top speed, a little bit more acceleration. Uh, not even top speed, acceleration would actually uh, would actually help. Maybe they can create some acceleration with uh, without actually touching the engine by using, you know, the, the bits which they can change, uh, the, the intake, the... Um, the, the exhaust, that sort of thing, um, may well um, maybe for Maverick at least also some uh, aerodynamic because uh, some aerodynamics because um, obviously Valentino Rossi has now taken both of his fairings, so he's not going to get an aero update. Um, but yeah, maybe they can find a little bit of drive. Maybe they can find a little bit of acceleration, and that would at least because just even with a little bit of acceleration, if they can uh, a place like Mugello. Uh, we saw in previous years, even when the, 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 the Yamaha was seriously outgunned, they were capable of staying with the Hondas and staying with the Ducatis. Couldn't pass them, but they could at least sort of stay, uh, stay in the slipstream. And if they can stay in the slipstream down the, down the front straight, uh, then there's plenty of places around the back where they can use the sort of superior handling to, uh, to, to, to you know, try and make a pass, try and force a pass, and try and force a, um, uh, get enough of a gap to get to the line at least. Barcelona are easier than Mugello, because Mugello, the, the, the finish line is a really long way um, uh, from, from the final corner. But uh, the, I still think there's a certain reason, amount of options. I think, you know, that there's reason for, reason for Yamaha. They fixed a big problem. The bike is just really good now, except it's just not powerful enough. And Honda and Ducati have made a step forward. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Yamaha have made a clear step forward from last year, but so have the other bikes that were ahead of them last year. Yeah. And it seems to be that way this year. But yeah, I think it's a good thing because going all the way back to 2016, this was a, a real complaint of uh, Yamaha guys yeah. that they couldn't manage the rear tire. And uh, I think if you take the circuit of the Americas away, where Rins was clearly stronger than Rossi, not many people have been stronger than him in the final laps of the four races that we've had, to be honest. No, I mean, he's, he's had a really, really strong season. It's just that the bike hasn't been quite up to really taking the fights to... Uh, uh, to, to the others. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It should be interesting to see Rossi at Mugello, always a spectacular thing. You just know he's going to up his game, even that little half percent that he usually does. 
Um, whether that'll be enough to uh, well get a podium or even score a first win since 2008, well, we'll have to wait a couple of weeks to see how that pans out. So moving swiftly on uh, to the second part of our show. All five guys in the top five, I think, were uh, worthy of praise. We have done that. Um, but I think the ride of the day, from my side anyway, was uh, the guy that finished in sixth place, Paul Aspargaro, taking the KTM RC16 to sixth place. 5.9 seconds back of Marquez. I think it was more realistically around seven or eight seconds. Marquez obviously um, uh, yeah, let off the throttle a little bit in the final lap, but still six seconds in a dry race with no one crashing in front of him. This was an outright top six finish. And KTM to have struggled like they did at Jerez for their factory bosses to be wearing some fairly concerned expressions. This was a, a quite a remarkable uh, turnaround from Jerez. How did they do it? Um, uh, the Jerez test basically um, they obviously they had a new chassis at Jerez they also had a carbon swing arm with, which they tested, tested on the Wednesday after Jerez um, away from the prying eyes of um, uh, scum like you and me Neil um, uh, so we, we, we couldn't we didn't know anything about it but they rolled it out on Saturday and it worked really well um, uh, only Polis Bargaro he had one on Friday he had two on Saturday um, uh, it worked really well what it worked really well at was actually maintaining the tyre so we've seen before that um, uh, Pol has had good pace over a single lap they were always fading in the second half of the uh, uh, second half of the race which is why they were finning, you know, finishing 15, 20, 30 seconds behind um, the carbon uh, the, the carbon swing arm just is that little bit gentler on the tyre and saves the tyre for the uh, for the end of the race, um, and he was able to be you know still pretty pretty quick at the, at the end of the race as well. And if you look at his pace, his pace was pretty much very similar to the Ducatis really uh, uh, for much of the race. He, he he lost a little bit in the middle and he couldn't quite stay with them, but um, uh, just absolutely outstanding race and as you say it's not really six seconds it's eight seconds but in previous races it's been 12 15 seconds so it's a, it's a huge step forward yeah the closest ktm have been in a dry MotoGP gp race uh, before yesterday we're recording this on the monday after le mans uh, was aston last year when paul finished i think 15 seconds back so that's a huge leap forward um and aston was almost an exceptional kind of race and uh, on that particular day last year whenever uh, yeah, the whole pack seemed to be crunched together. Um, so yeah, this was uh, this was something quite quite brilliant. Uh, how much of this was down to Paul, David? Oh, I think there's a very large chunk of it down to Paul. But then Paul loves the KTM to an extent. I won't say you've got a Ducati, you know, a, a Casey Stoner slash Ducati situation. Um, in that, you know, Paul's a great racer, but he's no Casey Stoner. Um, uh, Paul is really strong rider he has a very aggressive style he has a really particular style um, the KTM really rewards that style uh, it needs to be pushed and pushed and pushed and uh, to, to get the best out of it but that's the way that Paul loves to ride uh, and so he's uh, he's able to extract every little bit of performance out of it you look at Johan Zarco Johan was absolutely nowhere during the race had a bad race after being quite uh, quite strong in the wet, uh, just because he's trying to be smooth and he's trying to ride the bike in a completely different way. And the bike just you just can't ride the bike uh, uh, that way. Um, again, Hafi Sarin coming from Yamaha, 
miserable on the uh, uh, on the KTM. Whereas you know Miguel Oliveira, the rookie, is doing a little bit better because he just doesn't know any better. Yeah, but Oliveira finished behind Siren yesterday. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, you know it's it, it's not easy. It's it's a very it is a very particular bike. But the fact that Paul can take the uh, take the bike to that kind of result tells you that that is that the result is in there. You know that, that is the the performance is in the bike. It's just still a little bit hard to actually extract the performance. Yeah, we caught up with uh, team manager Mike Leitner uh, soon after the race and. Seem to be a certain amount of vindication or glee in the vindication that yes, our steel chassis and our WP chassis, uh, sorry, suspension does work indeed. Yeah. So many people have been casting doubts over that, and I think justifiably so. But uh, yeah, that was the first thing I think Paul said whenever he was greeting the media yesterday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like there's a, there was a certain amount of rubbing their hands in glee that you know, oh, oh it'll never work. You know, you can't. You need an alley. You need an, an alley beam chassis, and you need uh, you need Olin suspension and all the rest of it. You don't. There are lots of solutions which can work. It's just that you've got to be very clever about actually making them work, and you need time, especially in in a, in a field this close with the level of um, uh, level of performance so high, and so many competitive factories driving each other so hard. It's hard to catch up. Looks like KTM are finally starting to get there. Yeah, exactly. This was, I guess, their aim by the third year was to be pushing for the podium places yeah. in a drive. Very ambitious aims. Yeah, um, I, I don't think they're going to do that. But you know, like the top five, I think we could we could you know regularly see the see top fives. And it looks like right now they're outperforming Aprilia. Yeah, comfortably so. Comfortably yeah. so. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, yesterday comfortably outperforming Suzuki as well. Um, so great to see KTM up there looking so strong. Um, engine configurations. I mean, KTM are obviously you know vast amount of resources. Yeah, yeah. I mean, different what? engine configurations that they tested at Jerez uh, on the Monday, then the Wednesday after the Spanish Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what that means is complete mystery because the bike doesn't really sound very different. Um, uh, I don't think they changed the firing order in particular, but they might have changed uh, something in the uh, you know in the combustion, something like that, just to make the engine a little bit friendlier. Uh, um, they the pole did take a one new engine at the start of this uh, at the start of this race, but then it's not unusual for them to do it this is about the time when 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 teams are taking new engines so it's hard to say you know whether it was it really was a new engine uh, and normally if you if you're switching to a new engine configuration you take two you know you take two engines uh, or if you're switching to a new engine which is you know a real a real improvement benefit then you would switch to, 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 to two new engines and see um, pole was jumping backwards and forwards between the two engines so I'm not not completely convinced that uh, that they use the new engine configuration but uh, it's it's really hard it honestly it's the, the, these are sort of small detail things that it's really hard to actually the only person who knows the truth is is not going to tell you yeah for sure um Paul Espargo was understandably pretty delighted and pretty excited when he spoke to us yesterday. Here is a little bit of what he said. You know, also, I, I couldn't imagine that we could do that today. Uh, so coming from Jerez, Jerez testing in Wednesday was, uh, was really, really good. We could, uh, you know, continue with an amazing pace. And if we would do that on the race, oh, for sure our result would be much different. So, but it, sometimes it happened on the test that you change something and everything goes good and then you arrive in the next race and everything goes the same. So the step up we have done in Jerez, it was much better for here comparing to last year. And I think hopefully it's gonna be exactly the same in Mugello. So for sure my spirit will 
Yeah, I'm just looking to jump on the bike in Mugello uh, because I think after the result we have done today, yeah, expectation is high, but also my, my soul is, is wandering to, to, to race there. Okay, welcome back. We are a little pressed for time because our uh, train is about to depart. So we're going to swiftly move on to the third section of our show, winners and losers section. This is essentially where David Knight choose our big winners and our big losers from the weekend. Some contenders, I think, in all three classes. We're going to start with the winners because we're uh, in a positive, uh, wholesome frame of mind with it being a Monday morning, new week ahead of us. And um, David, I'm going to press you for your big winner from the weekend at Le Mans. Um, well, oddly enough, my big winner had a, an appalling start, a really bad um, uh, first few laps and finished the race in eighth. And a cramp qualifying. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and a terrible qualifying. Um, uh, but he also topped two sessions um, uh, during the weekend. Uh, Fabio Quartararo, I think he just you know, emphasised, he, he showed once again just how incredibly strong he is if you look at his pace I looked at, I, I checked his pace and it wasn't quite as fast as Mark uh, uh, as Marquez but it was definitely right up there with uh, with the Ducatis um, he could have had a podium um, you know Kudov doesn't get you anything in motorcycle racing but uh, he proved that he genuinely is uh, is on the pace he's genuinely fast he really has a chance to, uh, to to do something in this uh, in this category, and I spoke to Wilco. I asked Wilco. I think Wilco Zielenberg, the team manager, uh, earlier this weekend. You know, where whereabouts is is Fabio? You know, is he ahead of his development, behind his development, all the rest of it? And he said, No, he's way ahead of any, anywhere we expected. So, um, and also Quattararo didn't crumble under the um, under the pressure of his home race, which again is really it, it, it's really really impressive. True, although you could say that the start and the big mistake done at Turn Eight was in part. Yeah, that would that would be fair criticism. Yes. <laughs> what really impressed me was his performance in morning warm up, and I know yes, there's no there's no prizes for Sunday morning warm up, and essentially it's meaningless, and everyone forgets what happened there. But Spots of uh, spots of rain falling on riders' visors. It was cold, and Quartararo went on with a soft, soft combination and just spent the entire 20 minutes revolving around, increasing his lap time, tenth by tenth at a time. And it was really something to watch. It was reminiscent of Zarco uh, in his first year with Yamaha and MotoGP back in 2017 when he did something similar in Q1, then in Q2. Just, <clears throat> it's set like incredible rhythm. And um, yeah, <clears throat> Apologies. Um, it was interesting speaking to him after the race because he said there was uh, a certain thing that happened uh, when he was back in the pack after making the mistake at turn eight early on, uh, which caused him to uh, post the fastest lap time and then uh, managed to hold that pace all the way to the end of the race. Let's hear what he had to say. You know, um, today I do something that I normally don't, uh, I shouldn't do during the race. I put the time attack mapping during the race and uh, I say okay let's see what happened and uh, if I destroy the tire will be my problem so the last um, yeah when I overtake I think uh, rings I put the time attack mode and there when when I push a lot into the limit and uh, yes I think uh, it's not a question of adaptation it's a question that I was really really on the limit how different does the bike feel when you put it on the time attack mapping well, uh, lucky here was not big difference. Uh, was uh, small changes, maybe acceleration. The bike was spinning a little bit more, but uh, I can control a little bit on the riding side. But physically, was was really tough to ride. 
and uh, lucky that the race was finished. That's Fabio Quartararo there. You would think that uh, that would be good for five laps at the most with a soft rear tyre. Obviously, there were cool temperatures, track temperatures yesterday, but for him to hold a really good pace all the way to the end, uh, yet another reason why I'm part of the Fabio Quartararo fan club this weekend. And also, he still hasn't crashed. He hasn't crashed during any of the tests. He hasn't crashed during five, uh, uh, five races. There's only one other rider who hasn't crashed so far th uh, this year. I think that's Valentino Rossi, but uh, quite remarkable. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we said there at the start of this segment, a rubbish qualifying. He was 10th. It's the first time he's been off the first three rows in his first uh, five MotoGP races. So yeah, his qualifying has been outstanding. His speed is there. Um, he's really taken to that Yamaha very well indeed. And your winner, Neil? Well, uh, I'm going to have to say it is John McPhee for his win in the Moto3 class because um, John has had a really lousy start to the year. He was sure that he would be fighting for the World Championship, um, speaking to him through pre-season testing. Uh, he had a fantastic, uh, never really posted in the fastest times, but just a really good off-season in that. He didn't get injured. Uh, he was able to work on race pace, was able to test a lot of different parts for Honda and get to know his team. And it never really came together in the first four races. And um, speaking to him yesterday, he was saying that there was always a session in Qatar, a couple of sessions in Argentina, one session in the Circuit of the Americas where he was the fastest guy. And he just hasn't really been able to put it together. He's had a few issues riding in big groups. We've heard that quite a lot. Uh, from guys in MotoGP, we've heard it from guys in Moto3 as well this year, not being able to translate pace when they're alone into fighting in a big group. And, uh, well, I was doing some of the uh, commentary for Moto3 free practice on uh, Saturday morning, and uh, my colleague Amy Dargan was speaking to team boss Johan Ziegeveld down in uh, pit lane, and he was pretty critical of John. He was basically saying, John needs to step it up here because we we're all expecting a good deal more from him. Um, we spoke to him after Jerez and he was really down. It just was a, it was a bad race, let's be honest. Um, and yeah, for him to sort of pull pole position out of the hat and then remain up at the front uh, for that entire race and well, and it was a smart, I mean, it was just a really smart race. It the, was. The, the way that he did it was really, really, it was really strong. Looking at some of the chaos that was going on behind him, McPhee did really well to position himself to second on the last lap, past Rolando de la Porta, turn nine, I think it was, and then was so strong into the final heavy breaking points at the end of the track, defended brilliantly. And uh, yeah, his first dry race uh, win in Grand Prix. And uh, well, let's hope that this is a, a bit of a remarkable turnaround because he had a crap start to 2018 had a test after Mugello and then suddenly was fighting for the podium positions more or less every race from there let's see if he can do the same thing because he has the bike he has the team and uh, well yesterday showed that he has uh, he has the talent to do that yeah exactly I mean it's a it's a good team and the, the team worked hard and they deserve it moving swiftly on to our losers from the weekend uh, sad to say there are a couple of contenders uh, in this category as well yeah there's rather a lot of con uh, of contenders for losers this uh, there were, there were a lot of losers this weekend <laughs> not just us yeah exactly <laughs> nice to have company yeah for a change uh, who was your big loser um i think i am going to have to go for alex rince because um uh, he came into lamar one point behind the championship leader um uh, he clearly had the, 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 the pace to be with um, um, or we all thought he had the pace to be to actually match uh, uh, Mark 
to ma match the Ducatis to, to actually take the fights to it. Um, they couldn't really find. He had he had trouble all weekend getting into the corner. Um, uh, corner entry was a, was a huge uh, huge problem for them. They never found any solutions, and they ended up really in real trouble. They. Uh, um, Synonymous. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Qualifying 19th, which is absolutely shocking. Even by his standards. Yeah, yeah exactly. Again, they've, he's, he's got to fix his qualifying. He really, really needs to fix his qualifying. Um, still came through uh, to finish 10th, which is an outstanding result. Um, all, all things can fall. But you can't, if you, if you have any uh, pretensions to the championship, you cannot qualify in 19th. Um, you cannot have weekends like this. You have your bad weekends. You know you need to your bad weekends. You need to be top five. And uh, this, um, yeah, I mean, doesn't doesn't ruin his championship, but it's it's a real warning that uh, you know we're, there's still a long way from getting it done. Yeah, Rins was kind of relaxed yesterday. Wasn't making too big a deal of it. He had these issues uh, last year at Le Mans and they weren't able to really work their way around it. Um, a couple of good tracks coming up for him though, you have yep. to say, that will really suit the Suzuki. Um, yeah, Mugello, Barcelona. Assen. Assen, oh yeah. And Saxon a great piece yeah. of Saxon last year. So I really don't think this is going to be, uh, this will maybe just be a temporary blotch on uh, on what has otherwise been a fantastic season yep. so far for him and Suzuki. But yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a good day at the office considering Joanne Mir's struggles as well. What a disastrous weekend he yeah. had. Um, Three crashes for Juan Mir on, a, on, on Sunday, Sunday, which yeah. is just yeah, ter yeah, ter pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, and you, Neil, who's your oh, big well, loser? Well, I thought you were never going to ask, David. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with, um, well, it's a real toss-up between Romano Fanati and uh, Maverick Vinales. Fanati, for the simple fact that I had an interview with his team boss, uh, Stefano Bedon, on Saturday, asked him, what's going on with your rider? And he said he's struggling for motivation. And I found that <laughs> quite remarkable. Uh, the guy has been given a second chance. I, I've been one of the guys that's kind of defended him. He said that, well, you know, we all make mistakes when we're young and he should be allowed to come back in one last time. If he makes a big mistake again, then, you know, he's, he's basically had two chances and he's not really uh, built on them and um, yes that I find Romano Fanati keeps on finding new ways uh, to I, uh, to make mistakes which yeah. is quite inventive of him but uh, not conducive to a successful motorcycle racing career I find it uh, quite baffling but I'm going to have to go with Mario Finales because of because of his speed on Friday his speed on Saturday morning Finati sorry Vinales was fantastic looked in fantastic shape he spoke to us on Friday and said that this was the best he had felt since 2017 yep. finally he was able to ride the Yamaha exactly as he wanted yep. it wet weather has never been one of his strong points he was fantastic in FP3 yep. faster than Mark Marquez yet he still contrived to find a way to ruin it yeah. strategy was wrong on, in Q2 he went out in slicks with Rossi with Quartararo and Okay, you can say that the strategy was wrong, but Rossi got that strategy wrong, and he still went out and managed to qualify fifth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Rossi made up for it later on in, the, in that qualifying session um, uh, and, and found enough speed to get onto the, the, the front two rows. But yeah, I agree. Maverick Vinales keeps on uh, again. He keeps on finding ways to trip himself up, snatching defeat, snatching defeat, defeat from, from the jaws of victory. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. And it's uh, it's a shame because he was he looked so good on Friday and then he looked so good on Saturday uh, and then he was absolutely nowhere after uh, after qualifying and after. Um, uh, and in the race again, he lost you know four positions in the first few laps. Um, 
the uh, they need to fix something, but I think what they need to fix first and foremost is Maverick Vinales. Yeah, Vinales at the moment really does seem quite lost. And uh, 23 points cover the first four riders in the MotoGP World Championship. He should be right in the middle of that, in my opinion, considering the package that he has, considering his talent and his speed. But uh, yeah, he's falling quite a bit short at the moment. I think that brings us uh, to the close of this edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. Mr. David Emmett of motormatters.com, I'd like to thank you for your company, as always. Merci beaucoup, Neil Morrison. De rien, monsieur. And uh, I would like to thank you as well, listener, dear listener, for your, uh, well, uh, for your uh, continued loyalty to uh, our fine service. I would like to remind you that we have a Patreon page which helps to keep this podcast going. Uh, following the Grand Prix World Championship uh, around the world is uh, not uh, an easy or uh, cheap uh, activity. And, uh, well, as to kind of sorry for ourselves freelancers, uh, <laughs> every penny uh, helps. And, uh, well, yeah, you can find us if you fancy donating for as little as three dollars a month you which, which would have bought the coffees which we drank just before <laughs> recording this podcast so uh, that's it's a very direct uh, contribution yes uh, patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast you can also follow us on twitter at paddock pass pod and facebook.com forward slash paddock pass podcast uh, if you listen to our show on uh, apple well uh, yeah apple podcasts apple podcasts or yeah. any uh, any of your um, uh, podcasting services then you can leave us a review because it helps other listeners find our show we'll be back with the show from Magello in two weeks time thanks very much for your company see you then top work mail 47 minutes bonjour et bienvenue <laughs> fuck okay <clears throat> bonjour et bienvenue I'll try that again Shall I write it down for you? I'll write it down. I can't believe this is fucking embarrassing. My thing. <laughs> bienvenue. Yeah, bi- uh, uh, yeah, podcast bienvenue. Oh. Bienvenue. Oh. Uh, uh, not le, because you've got le. Is in the le. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, a podcast. Du pass du paddock. <laughs>